I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, Uncertain Future. The Senate passes a measure for funding for Ukraine and Israel, why the proposal may not be popular in the House. War in the Middle East. New developments in the hostages held captive for months by Hamas. Targeting the faithful. A new push in Canada regarding Catholic hospitals and assisted suicide. We have analysis from Alex Schadenberg. And Lenten Journey, why the last seven words of our Lord could help us deepen our faith. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on Trove Tuesday. Our top story tonight in the wee hours of the morning, a number of bitterly divided Republicans in the Senate joined Democrats in passing the $95 billion aid package for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, 70 to 29. The bill now goes to the House where its future is uncertain. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with the latest. Eric. Good evening, Tracy. Yes, Speaker Mike Johnson already said that he will kill the legislation in its current form because it's, quote, silent on border security. Now, prior to the passing of the Senate, there were a lot of Republican objections. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer called the bill historic and is now challenging Republican leadership over in the House to get it passed. The responsibility now falls on Speaker Johnson and House Republicans to approve this bill swiftly. And I call on Speaker Johnson to rise to the occasion, to do the right thing, bring this bill to the floor. In the Senate, prior to the vote, those against sending more money to Ukraine while not securing America's border spoke out. Open the champagne, pop the cork. The Senate Democrat leader and the Republican leader are on the way to Kiev. They've got $60 billion they're bringing. I don't know if it'll be cash in pallets, but they're taking your money to Kiev. We should not send a dime to Ukraine until our borders are fully secured. We have already given Ukraine more than $120 billion. This is more than enough money to secure every border in our country. The bill now moves to the House where Speaker Mike Johnson immediately signaled he will ignore the package, stating in part, quote, now in the absence of having received any single border policy change from the Senate, the House will have to continue to work its own will on these important matters. America deserves better than the Senate status quo. Members of the Freedom Caucus agree. We should make decisions that are in the national security interest of the United States first. And that starts with a secure border. That starts with peace through strength, not funding endless wars and endless conflict. Congressman Tom Tiffany of Wisconsin posted on X, $60 billion to Ukraine on top of the $100 billion that we've already sent. The Senate foreign aid bill should be DOA in the House. Our number one priority should be securing our border. Congressman Roy isn't even sure he'd support the bills if they came up separately. This was a $100 billion bill, $95 billion, unpaid for. Wait, where's this money coming from? Like the magic money trees while we run our country completely into the ditch financially? So what exactly can Speaker Johnson do? Well, he can put the bill on the floor and allow border security amendments like the ones in H.R. 2, which passed the House, to be included. He could also hold separate votes on Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan, and even border security aid. But each of these options will change the bill, and that will put it back to the Senate, which it will never pass in the Senate. Speaker Johnson will have to make the move very quickly. And Tracy, we also want to let people know that we're following a critical House race over in New York's third 
Third District. Yeah, a new member of Congress will be decided tonight, filling the seat for disgraced ex-Congressman George Santos, who was expelled from the House last year. The race is tight between former Democratic Congressman Tom Suozzi and Republican challenger Mozzie Pillup. I'll have the results of those tomorrow. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Our President Joe Biden calls on House Republicans to quickly pass the foreign aid bill that Eric just told us about. Biden says it is a way to stand up to Russian President Vladimir Putin. History is watching. Failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. And I say to the House members, House Republicans, you got to decide. Are you going to stand up for freedom? Or are you going to side with terror and tyranny. Now, President Biden tyranny. also took a swipe at former President Donald Trump for not supporting NATO. Biden called Trump's recent comments dumb, shameful, dangerous, and un-American. But the Make America Great Again political organization says President Trump strengthened NATO and maintained global peace through American strength. And we are also following the ongoing effort to free the hostages still being held in Gaza. The White House says it wants to bring them home as soon as possible. Today, negotiators held key meetings in Cairo, Egypt. The talks are moving forward even after Israel intensified its offensive in the southern Gaza city of Rafah. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, today the White House was asked about those talks taking place in Cairo to try to free the hostages. Also, the U.S. says it has consistently expressed its concerns to Israel about moving forward in Rafah in the Gaza Strip, with more than a million people there seeking safety. In the White House press briefing room, National Security Communications Advisor John Kirby addresses the current talks in Egypt that aim to bring about a ceasefire and free the approximately 100 hostages still held in captivity by Hamas. We're glad that these discussions are ongoing. And as I've said before, they have been, they've been constructive and they've been moving in the right direction. But I don't have a specific update for you today, and I wouldn't want to get ahead of discussions uh, as they're occurring as you and I speak right now. On Monday, two hostages were freed in a daring Israeli raid in Rafah. But for the remaining families waiting day after day for their loved ones to return home... We would love nothing more, Arlette, than to have every single hostage back with their families yesterday and the day before that. Um, we are working with a real sense of alacrity and urgency here to try to get an extended pause in place. But it's been difficult. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken indicated last week on a visit to the region that there was hope the talks might lead to a deal. And at the U.S. State Department today, when asked about the current ongoing conversations in Egypt, nothing to announce right now. Instead, I can restate what we said going into these conversations, which is we do believe a deal is possible. We believe a deal is important to achieve. We're going to continue to push for a deal. And on Monday, President Joe Biden also signaled talks were heading closer to fruition. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. Meanwhile, the war has wrought unimaginable destruction in the Gaza Strip. Thousands killed, many of them women and children. The harsh fact, the harsh truth is that thousands have died. This conflict has not been resolved. Israel says its forces have killed 10,000 Hamas fighters. It blames Hamas for the overall death toll, saying Hamas embeds in civilian areas, putting people at risk. 
And President Biden calls every innocent life lost in Gaza and Israel a tragedy. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. An official who once led Iran's nuclear program says the country has all the parts that it needs for a nuclear weapon. So the official made the claims on Iranian state TV. The head of the U.N. nuclear watchdog cautioned that Tehran is not entirely transparent with its atomic program. This comes amid heightened tensions in the Middle East during Israel's war with Hamas. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including potential lawsuit. Pro-euthanasia advocates are targeting a Catholic hospital in Vancouver. And a closer look at the Vatican's stance on the surprising growth of artificial intelligence. A Catholic hospital in Canada is set to face a lawsuit over its refusal to take part in the deliberate ending of a patient's life. Supporters of the group Dying with Dignity Canada are helping to mount a legal challenge against St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver because the Catholic Medical Center does not allow euthanasia. Dr. Facilities suicide is legal in Canada. Euthanasia supporters say the suit in Vancouver could be, quote, a test case for forcing every hospital to take part. Joining us now is Alex Shadberg, Executive Director of the Euthanasia Prevention Coalition. Alex, great to have you back on. Uh, good to see you. Yeah. So what more can you tell us about this potential lawsuit and this group, Dying with Dignity Canada? Yeah, so Dying with Dignity is the euthanasia lobby group. We have not seen the lawsuit yet, but they're talking about a test case. But in the meantime, what's happened is that the British Columbia government what they did is they expropriated a piece of land from St. Paul's Hospital. So just put this in, uh, a piece of land owned by St. Paul's Hospital was expropriated by the British Columbia government, and they're right now building a killing center right next door to St. Paul's Hospital. Uh, and the reason, of course, is because the uh, St. Paul's Hospital and the Archbishop and Catholic Healthcare have said that they've, they're they not going to kill people. They refuse to do so. They're not going to be complicit. And so the government took it in their hands, and they're building a killing center right right next door to the Catholic Hospital. This is really crazy if you think about it. Yeah, you can't even make this stuff up, Alex. Uh, no, you can't make this up, no. It really is unbelievable. Uh, another thing I want to talk about what's happening in Canada. Uh, the Archdiocese yeah. of Montreal is suing the Attorney General of Quebec, uh, asking uh, for an exception for assisted suicide for our Catholic palliative care home. What more can you tell us about this particular case? Okay, so this, we're talking about the St. Raphael palliative care home in Montreal, and this is a, a newer palliative care home and uh, what happened is in 2019, when the Archdiocese of Montreal signed the contract, they signed a 100-year contract because this is their property, their land, their building. And so they signed a 100-year contract saying that they would, you know, this would be funded, but there'd be no uh, euthanasia on that property. Uh, Bill 11 was passed by the Quebec government last June, and in it, it forces all institutions that provide medical treatment to do euthanasia. So this has been the standoff situation where St. Raphael's is owned by the Archdiocese of Montreal, and so they're now suing the Quebec government to prevent St. Raphael's from being forced to do euthanasia. What are the chances do you think that they'll win this case? That's a very good question, and this is Quebec we're talking about. Uh, I, I'm just saying that they're doing the right thing. Uh, they're fighting uh, head-on with them, and that's what they have to do, and I'm hoping for the best. The fact of it is, is it's not an old contract. They signed that contract in 2019, so obviously at that time the government was still willing to let them not do euthanasia. Uh, nonetheless, this is once again an attack on Catholic health care. 
the reality also is, is that uh, I don't have to like it, but there's lots of places that are providing euthanasia. They don't have to force St. Raphael's to do it. In the same way, they don't they don't have to be building a, a killing center right next door to St. Paul's Hospital. Uh, there's lots of places in Vancouver where they can kill people. Uh, I'm not happy about it. It's just a reality. Yeah, it, it's so unfortunate and really hard to wrap your mind around all of this. Um, I want to turn now to the United States, if we may. Uh, just a few days ago, the Virginia Senate passed an assisted suicide bill. And in Maryland, there is also renewed interest once again to legalize euthanasia with a bill called the End of Life Option Act. Alex, right. what, what is behind all this and, and this push for euthanasia? So right now, there's 20 states in the U.S. that are debating an assisted suicide bill. This is their most active year ever. And I think what they're thinking is they're, they're unsure what's going to happen in the election this year. So they're pushing very hard in the states they hope to, to win in. Uh, of course, that would include Maryland and a few other states, uh, New York, Massachusetts. There's several states where they're pushing very hard to, and they've put a lot of money into this. Um, I, I'm really thinking that they, they're absolutely convinced that Americans are ready for this, but you have to understand they've lost two years in a row in every single state. So in the last two years, every state that had an assisted suicide bill, they were all defeated. So uh, that's uh, kudos to those who have been fighting assisted suicide, but of course, the uh, the the killing lobby uh, they're um, they're going to keep going and that's the sad reality and uh, they're pushing very hard this year. Yeah, Alex, we have about thirty seconds left or so. But what can we do, yep. you know, as the faithful to help put an end to all of this, uh, this and help people realize how sacred human life really is? Well, I think we have to be very clear and, and, and not play with the words. We have to say what this is. This is about killing people. A lot of people, like, you know. We understand that a lot of people go through difficult times in their life, so the other side is playing the, the whole card about suffering. And we understand this is a reality, but at the same time, we know this is about killing people. We need to be caring for people, not killing them. And we have to, the other side changes the language and they want to call it something else. No, we have to say what it is and stick to the, stick to the point and be very vocal about that. Silence is not, is not our friend. Yeah, Alex, thank you for not being silent. We appreciate it, my friend, and thank you for all that you do. God bless. Happy to join you again. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, 40 time. As we draw closer to let, learn more about EWTN's latest initiative to help the faithful, plus a super development for a popular prayer app. Portland, Maine is getting a new leader. Earlier today, Pope Francis named Father James Ruggieri to lead the diocese. The bishop-elect is currently serving in the Diocese of Providence, Rhode Island. The 56-year-old is known for feeding the homeless each week from an old food truck decorated with the images of Mother Teresa and St. John Paul II. Well, he replaces Bishop Robert Dealey, who led the diocese for the past decade. Bishop Dealey turns 78 later this year. The Diocese of Portland serves around 279,000 Catholics. Well, the head of one of the major artificial intelligence engines is asking for the creation of a global oversight group. Sam Altman is the CEO of ChatGPT. He was speaking at the World Government Summit in Dubai. Altman says the AI industry should not be in the driver's seat when it comes to making regulations. He also says artificial intelligence is growing very quickly and fears that it has the power to make things, quote, go horribly wrong through no particular ill intention. Another group weighing in on the uses and dangers of artificial intelligence is the Vatican. EWTN Vatican Bureau Chief Andreas Tonhauser recently sat down with the head of a Holy See group that's keeping a close watch on AI. 
The Holy Father's message on the World Day of Peace, uh, it was about peace, of course, but also artificial intelligence. And I understand um, that Yoda Castri also produced a video for that message. How are those two things related, artificial intelligence and peace? Artificial intelligence is, like many human inventions, uh, a um, potential for good and for evil. And so the point of the message was to encourage uh, members of the church and the whole uh, international community to do what's necessary so that artificial intelligence will contribute more to peace than to war, uh, conflict, injustice. So the um, connection uh, between artificial intelligence and peace is actually human life, how we live, how we treat each other, how we treat the planet, and that we need to learn how to use and manage this marvelous invention. Maybe you could explain also a little bit sort of the positive sides that could be seen um, also from a church perspective when it comes to artificial intelligence. Uh, artificial intelligence makes the, uh, you might say, the pool of human knowledge much more accessible, uh, more easier to, you might say, discover or, or consult. And if, again, if this, uh, if this helps in uh, empowering humankind to be more knowledgeable and finally to be more wise and more charitable, this is, uh, of course, very positive. And if it only uh, concentrates knowledge and power in the hands of the few, or if it is used without ethical consideration, then it's a, it's a danger, and uh, we need to find out how to, how to manage it uh, responsibly. Any suggestions for viewers for the season of Lent that we're soon about to enter in, uh, what they could be praying for or also fasting for? Uh, yes, I think that the, um, they could think about uh, what are the obstacles to full human development that they're aware of and to pray for the grace uh, to help overcome them, whether these are problems near at hand or far away, uh, to, uh, to ask God to allow us to cooperate in his saving work so that uh, his people, all his people, might live the life that uh, he created them for or he created us for. And we thank Andreas Tonhauser for that report. Well, tomorrow is, of course, Ash Wednesday and the start of Lent. And EWTN is offering an online video series seeking to help the faithful use the 40 days to draw closer to Christ. The Seven Last Words is a seven-part online series presented by EWTN's own father, Joseph Mary Wolf of the Franciscan Friars of the Eternal Word. The series features reflections on our Lord's final words on the cross. The series is free, and you can find it under the Learning Series tab on EWTN's main page. And here to tell us more about it is Father Joseph Mary Wolf. Father, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Um, so walk us through the creation of the series. Tell us all about it. So the creation of the seven last words, I was up at the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament and I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament. And it just kind of was a light that I received that there was a wonderful place there at the shrine where I could discuss the seven last words of our Lord, looking at different elements of the shrine 
and Mother Angelica's incorporation of those elements into the shrine. So that was kind of the inspiration behind that, and we recorded that, and uh, I was quite happy with how it turned out. Well, that is so beautiful. And as your title suggests, Jesus proclaimed seven final words on the cross, and, and you have a meditation mm -hmm. for each. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. And is there a particular one that maybe, you know, really impacted you? Yes, I've often, I often reflect on the seven last words of our Lord, and it's especially the sixth word, where our Lord says, it is accomplished. And I talk about that in front of the crypt church, in the lower church, because Mother Angelica's work now is accomplished. Of course, she's still assisting us, we believe, from heaven with her intercession before the Lord. But her earthly work is completed. And for all of us, the mission that God has given to us one day is going to be completed. So it is for us to put all of our energy, all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to loving the Lord and helping others to come to know and love him too. And then when we come to the end of our days, we can say with great satisfaction and peace, it's accomplished the work that you gave me to do, Lord. Yeah, and as we know, Mother Angelica, she talked a lot about interior mortification. How did that phrase, how did that play into the evolution of the series? Yes, well, you know, for Mother, I think she experienced in religious life at different places that those who especially were physically ascetical were sometimes giving more penance to others <laughs> And then they were enduring themselves, you know, because they would become a grouch or whatever it would be. And of course, we all need in this indulgent society to make some denial of ourselves. There has to be some cutting back, you know, of just indulging every appetite that we have. But Mother saw that the most important element of our sanctification is that interior mortification. And so, for example, if someone would insult us, that instead of giving a harsh word back, which might be our first inclination, we're going to hold back, and instead we're going to respond peaceably, charitably, and respectfully. So that could be one element. I think another element of that, and Mother often said that the Lord gave her her own penance during the Lenten season. I remember one time she broke her wrist, and she said that was one of the most painful things that she had gone through, and it was right at the beginning of the season of Lent. And she said, you know, I know the Lord's up to something. He's going to do something great for the network because of this offering of her suffering. Well, we all have elements of sacrifice in our particular vocations in life, whether it's father, mother, spouse, um, you know, priest or religious. There's certain elements that are kind of uh, less than desirable for us and more difficult for us. But we can turn those into an act of love when we offer that sacrifice, that little pinch that we feel of sacrifice in our life and we turn it into an act of love for God and for others. Yeah, I, I love that so much. And I know you're also suggesting for penance, people make a pilgrimage this year. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit more about that. Do you have any suggestions? Yes, I definitely do, because it's a time of the Eucharistic revival. And I would suggest making a pilgrimage, which is a traditional way of doing penance. You think of the Camino de Santiago, where people would walk for days or weeks or even months on pilgrimage to the Church of St. James at Santiago. And so this is a way in which you're putting off, you know, the comforts of our life and we're going on a journey to a sacred place to encounter God in a new and deeper, rich, richer way. So I would encourage you in that during the season of Lent and maybe to come to the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament in this time of the Eucharistic Revival. 
In fact, I'd like to mention that on March 9th, that the Shrine is having a special day of recollection on the Shroud of Turin. And there's always been a display there of the Shroud of Turin, but now it's been amplified and beautified and really would be a beautiful day to spend uh, at the Shrine of the Blessed Sacrament. I love that. Father Joseph Mary, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about this. We really appreciate it, and God bless you. And God bless you, Tracy, and all of your viewers during this season of Lent, this sacred time when God is drawing us closer to himself. Thank you so much. Oh, finally tonight, Sunday Super Bowl was the most watched TV broadcast in U.S. history and one faith-based organization is reaping the benefits. During the game, popular Catholic prayer app Hallow ran a 30-second ad in around a dozen markets or so. The app then set a record for its most downloads in a single minute. The 30-second ad featured actors Mark Wahlberg and Jonathan Rumi and an invitation to pray together on Hallow. The app CEO called it a phenomenal night and a dream come true. That is beautiful. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless. <laughs>